Uh, let's turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm 101. Psalm 101. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And we'll come back to this. <clears throat> I apologize for my voice. Maybe it'll clear up when I get to preaching and, and spitting. And, um, hopefully it'll clear up. Psalm 101, and we're going to begin with verse number 1. Uh, and as you can see, most of you in your Bibles, um, if not in the first verse, just above the first verse, it says that this is a Psalm of David. And that is important. That's important. You know, some folks think that every psalm was written by David, and, and that's not the case. Not every psalm in the 150 psalms that we have were written by David. There's actually uh, one written by Moses. Uh, there are some that uh, Solomon wrote, some that um, scholars believe Hezekiah wrote. And so they're not all written by David. Some were written by Asaph, who was uh, the, the music director for David's kingdom. And, uh, but this particular psalm is a psalm of David. All right, Psalm 101, verse 1 says, I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. And we could read on. In fact, we will cover this, uh, all eight verses of this psalm before I'm finished today. But I want to I call your attention especially to verse 2. This is where I derive my title. Verse 2 says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? And then David says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. And that's what I want to talk to you about today with the help of the Lord is a perfect heart. A perfect heart. Hallelujah. A perfect heart. Why don't we put our Bibles down and you want to, may just want to leave them open. As I said, we're going to cover all of this this morning as I try to lay a foundation. But I do want us to lift our hands and lift our voices and, and entreat the Lord for just a moment. Asking God to help us and to speak to us. Would you specifically pray that God would give you understanding this morning and God would grant you revelation this morning. Let's talk to the Lord together right now, everybody. Let's ask him for his help.
worship you. I exalt you. I magnify your name today. I ask you, O oh Master, that you would hear us and help us. Meet with us, O oh God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips. God, that you would help me to express the mind of God to your people today. Lord, help me, O oh God. Lord, set a watch at my mouth and keep the door of my lips. God, let me say what you want said today. God, we love you. We praise you. Let's worship him one more time before we're seated. Everybody, let's give God some worship in this house right now. Come on, let's lift our voices to the Lord. Let's lift our voices to the I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, in our text, as I read through this particular psalm, it became obvious to me that David was doing more than just singing a song about God. And, and you do know, I've pointed out many times, that the Psalms were, really the book of Psalms was the song book of Israel. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this on a number of occasions. And so each of these, they're not really chapters, they are individual songs that were written. Uh, usually for specific occasions. And, and in this particular psalm, the psalmist is not just singing a song about God, but he is singing a song to God. Hallelujah. He's singing a song to God. In fact, even at that, it was more than just a song. It was a prayer because he's communicating with God. Hallelujah. And, and it was more than just a prayer. It was a prayer of promise. In other words, he was making a vow. He was making a commitment to God. Hallelujah. Amen. I need you to help me this morning. He was making a commitment to God. And as we look at uh, this psalm, uh, we're, we're going to see what all was included in this vow, in this prayer of promise, in this commitment. First of all, verse 1. Read for me again Psalm 101 and verse 1. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. So first of all, he included a commitment of praise. I'm going to sing about you. I'm going to sing about how merciful you are. I'm going to sing about your judgment. And, and you understand judgment is not just a punishment of the wicked, but it involves the, the entire concept of God as a judge as he weighs things in the balances and always comes down on the right side of things 
And David said, I'm going to sing about how merciful you are. And I'm going to sing about how wise you are in your judgment. Unto you, O Lord, I'm going to sing. But then this song, this prayer takes a little bit more of a turn. It's not just a commitment of praise, but, but beyond that first verse where he promises to sing to and about God, uh, the, the remainder of this psalm is a vow, amen, that uh, includes a number of commitments concerning his behavior and his lifestyle. Well, hallelujah. Here's what he said about how he would behave himself. Uh, verses 2 and 3, read. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Yes. Oh, when, oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. And so David begins to make some promises to God that, Lord, this is the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to behave myself wisely. I'm not going to live a foolish and reckless and careless life. I'm going to behave wisely in a perfect way. I'm going to walk even in my house. This is not just something I'm doing for a public show. This is not just about how I'm going to act when I come to church but when there's nobody else around. When there's nobody else that can see me but you. I just want you to know God I'm making a commitment that even in the privacy of my own home I'm going to walk before you with a perfect heart. And then he says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And oh, I could preach on that for a little while today. Amen. But I'll get sidetracked and won't finish the lesson if I do. Just make note of the fact that David said, I'm making a choice what I allow myself to look at. For years it was easy as apostolics to just preach against television and movie theaters. But now we got one on our hip. We got one in our pocket. And I'm telling you, we still have to make some decisions about what we put before our eyes. I can't help what I see when I go to Walmart. I can't help what I see when I'm doing business out in this world. But I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to make some choices about what I allow myself uh, to look at. I'm going to make some choices uh, about what I allow my eyes to see. I may not have a choice out there, but when the choice is mine, I'm not going to set anything wicked in front of my eyes. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God help me. I don't want to get sidetracked there. Amen. I'm going to set no wicked thing before my eyes. Now, we'll pick up with verse 3 in just a minute, but, but this vow also included a commitment as to whom he would befriend, who he was going to associate with, even who he was going to put in his employment. 
Here's what he says. Let's, let's pick up again with verse 3 uh, and, and then read down through verse 8. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Right. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Yes. It shall not cleave to me. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It's not going to cleave to me. There may be others that walk away from you, God. There may be others that decide they want to live like the world or want to do things that are not right. But I want you to know I'm not going to let that stuff get a hold of me. I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let it determine how I live and what I'm going to participate in. Oh, I wish somebody would help me this morning. Hallelujah. Read. A forward heart shall depart from me. Yes. I will not know a wicked person. Yeah, I'm not going to run around with the wicked. Read. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I call. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. I could sure preach a while on this. I'm not going to sit around and listen to gossip. Amen. I'm going to tell you the only reason gossip can continue to spread is because somebody's willing to listen to it. If you'd stop them dead in their tracks and say, no, you're not going to talk about that person to me, there'd be no more gossip. Well, but I know when it's our friends telling us things about people, then we don't consider it gossip. Well, I don't have time. I don't have time. I wish I could. I've talked about it many times. But whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Read. Him, him that hath an high look and a proud heart, will I not suffer? I'm not going to put up with those that are proud and haughty. Read. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. I'm going to look for those that are faithful in the land. That they may dwell with me. Those are the ones I want to spend my time with. Those are the ones I want to run with. Those are the ones that I want to bring into my circle of friendship. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I'm going to run with the faithful. Read. He that walketh in a perfect way. Whoever walks in a perfect way. He shall serve That's me. the one I'm going to employ. Read. He that worketh deceit he shall that not works dwell deceit within my house. He not even going to live in my house. He that telleth lies he that tells shall not lies tarry in my sight. Is not going to tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. I'm going to get rid of everybody that's wicked. That I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Now, now look, I, I'm telling you this morning, all of these things that David said he was going to do, amen, the people he said he would or would not associate with, the things he said he would or would not look at, David's making some strong and bold commitments to God, but they really all can be summed up in what he said in verse 2, Read verse 2 again. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when, oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. With a perfect heart. I'm telling you this commitment, to, this vow to live daily with a perfect heart was the basis for everything else David said he was going to do. You can sum it all up in this. I'm just going to walk within my house with a perfect heart. I'm going to have a perfect heart before God. And that perfect heart is going to determine what I look at, what I listen to, who I run with, who I associate with, where I go. That 
perfect heart is what's going to lead me and guide me and be the determining factor of my life. Hallelujah. Now stay with me here this morning. Amen. I want to show you. I want to show you just how important it is to God that we have a perfect heart. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong and in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. All right, now we, we can stop right there. It goes on to declare some judgment because the individual being spoken to here wasn't really doing what they were supposed to do. But it's the first part of this verse that I want you to see and know and understand. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of, the, of them whose heart is perfect toward him. I'm here to tell you today. Amen. God's eyes are running to and fro through this entire earth. He's looking for somebody that will determine I'm going to have a perfect heart. You hear me today? This is the desire of God. This is the compunction of God. This is the focus of God. God's looking for people who have a perfect heart before him. He wants somebody to make some determinations. He wants somebody that will decide I'm going to live for you with a perfect heart. And he said... He said, when he finds them, when he finds those that have a perfect heart, God is going to show himself strong on their behalf. God's going to show himself strong on their behalf. I'm telling you that when God finds a person with a perfect heart, Amen. God determines he's going to reveal his strength and his power to them in a way that is unprecedented. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. We see this happening in the life of King Hezekiah. Second Kings chapter 20 and verse 1. Read. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. He was death. sick unto death. And the prophet, and the prophet Isaiah and the son of Amos came, to, came him to him and said unto and him, said to him thus, saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, set, thine house set your order, house in order. You're going to die. Not You're not going to live. I'm telling you, God had both determined and declared that Hezekiah's life was coming to an abrupt end. But in spite of that... We know that God spared Hezekiah's life and granted to him 15 additional years. Now hear me. The prophets already said this is what God said. God said you're going to die. Set your house in order. This sickness that's on you, you're not going to recover, Hezekiah. The prophet has already declared it. And yet, we know Read verses 4 through 6. And it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the now, God of David thy father. Now, 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 now look at this. Look at this. The prophet has just walked into the bedroom of King Hezekiah. 
and said, God said, you're going to die. You get everything ready. You make your final preparations. You say your goodbyes. It's over, King Hezekiah. But the Bible says that Isaiah did not even get out to the middle court. He had not even left the property when God grabbed Isaiah by the shoulder and spun him around and said, go back in there and give him another word from me. And this is what the Lord, the God of David, thy father said. I have heard, I've heard your prayer. I have seen, I've seen your tears. Behold, I I'm going to heal you. On the on third the day, third thou day shalt go you're going to go up under the house of the Lord. And I will add unto I'm thee thy days to you 15, day 15 years. years. I will deliver and I'll thee deliver and you city and this city out of the hand of Assyria. Of Assyria. I will defend this. Yes. Now listen to me. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll defend. I'm sorry. I cut part of that off. Defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Here's what happened. Isaiah did not even get off the premises before God said turn around and go back in there Isaiah and tell him I've decided I'm giving him 15 more years. He's not going to die right now. He's not going to lose his life right now. I'm going to give him an additional 15 years. I hope I'm conveying this. Amen. Like I, like I feel it this morning. Hallelujah. But I'm telling you something happened that would cause God to change the declaration. The prophecy has already been made. The word has already gone forth. The determination has already been uttered. But God said, in spite of what I just said, I'm giving you another 15 years. What would cause God to change his own declaration? What would cause God to have the prophet go back and say something contrary to what he's already told him to say? What would do that? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but we read, we read verse 1. And we, we skip down to verse 4. I want to show you in verses 2 and 3 what it was that caused God to change this declaration. Second Kings 20, verses 2 and 3 read. Then he turned his face to the wall. This is Hezekiah. Now, now understand, because we're kind of reading these out of orders. Everybody with me. Isaiah has just walked out of the bedroom and said, set your house in order. You're going to die. And when Isaiah closes the door, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. Read. And prayed and to the Lord. And he prayed saying, to the Lord. And this is what he said. I beseech thee, I beseech thee O Lord. I beseech thee, O Lord. Remember, remember how, I, how I have truth, walked before thee and with a in truth heart. and with a perfect heart and have done, and have that, done which that which is good sight. in thy sight Hezekiah and Hezekiah wept sore. wept sore I'm telling you what it was that changed the course of history what it was that changed everything in Hezekiah's life is when Hezekiah was able to bring to God's remembrance the fact that God I've spent my years living with a perfect heart and you hear me, church. The Bible said the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the earth looking for those who have
have a perfect heart because he wants to show himself strong. Do you know what God did for Hezekiah? God did something he had never done for anybody else. Not only did he change the declaration that was made, but here's what he said. Amen. Read verses 10 and 11. And Hezekiah, Hezekiah answered, answered it is a light it's a light thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried to the Lord, and God brought the shadow 10 degrees backward. By which it had gone down in the dial of Ahab. Do you understand? When Joshua was fighting a battle, God stopped everything. But in this case, it was more than just stopping it. God put the whole universe in reverse amen because of a man who was able to pray God I've lived before you with a perfect heart you talk about showing himself strong he showed himself strong to Hezekiah because Hezekiah had a perfect heart hallelujah hallelujah hi uh, I think it's safe to say everybody under the sound of my voice would want a perfect heart. But I'm going to tell you right now, some of you are not getting excited about this because you're looking at your life and you're saying, I got problems and I got faults and I make mistakes and there's no way I could ever have a perfect heart. Well, I think we need to we we need to find a scriptural definition of what a perfect heart is. All right? If we want to see the power of God like Hezekiah did, we're going to have to have a perfect heart like Hezekiah did. But if we're going to have a perfect heart, we're going to have to determine what that is. Now I'm going to tell you this phrase, a perfect heart, jumped out to me some time back as I was reading through Kings and Chronicles because I noticed something in two particular passages of Scripture where this phrase, a perfect heart, was used. I want you to go with me now, Second Chronicles 15 and verse 17. Second Chronicles 15 and verse 17. But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. Now, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that really what it says? The high places were not taken away. You understand high places. This was the location for idolatry. This is where they went and set up their groves. They built their idols and their altars to false gods. Are you with me? The Bible says that while Asa was king of Judah, the high places were not taken away. There were still high places. There was still idolatry going on in Israel, in Judah, I should say, because the kingdom's divided at this point. Asa was king of Judah. 
there was still idolatry going on in Judah while Asa was king. But the Bible says the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. Now, Brother Nelson, that made me scratch my head. I'm just telling you. I'm being honest. It made me scratch my head. God obviously expected these kings to clean up the idolatry in the land. But the Bible says Asa failed to do that. And yet his heart was perfect. Now, as if that's not enough. I read on a few chapters later, and in 2 Chronicles 25, 2 Chronicles 25, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old. When he began to reign, he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. But he did that was, which was right in the sight of the now, Lord. Now look at this. Amaziah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But not with a perfect heart. But not with a perfect heart. Brother Chad, I, I'm just telling you now, I've, I've, been, I've been on a quest this year. I, I wanted to set a new goal. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you I wanted to set a new goal of Bible reading. I'm I'm, I'm planning on finishing the Bible four times by the end of this year. I'm into my third uh, time right now. And so uh, it's, it's nothing in the same day to read from chapter 15 to chapter 25. And I, I'm just telling you that, that, that when I read in chapter 15, Asa had a perfect heart, and yet there was idolatry in the land. But Amaziah did what was right. But he didn't have a perfect heart. That really blew my mind. And I thought, God, how can these things be? How can these things be? How can you have one man that's obviously allowing something to go on that shouldn't be? And yet his heart's perfect. And another man that's doing everything right. But his heart is not perfect. Well, I, I, I'm just telling you that as I started looking at this, I began to realize that if we really want to understand what it means to have a perfect heart, we need to take a closer look into the life of the man who penned the words in our text. Psalm 101 verse 2, read it for me again, Brother Goff. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Yes. Oh, when, thou, well, oh, when wilt thou come unto me? Right. I will walk, within, I'll walk my house within my house with a perfect heart. With a perfect heart. Now, I've already pointed out to you this was David that wrote this particular psalm. And so David is the one who made a vow to God 
that I am going to walk within my house with a perfect heart. And I began to, to realize that if I wanted to know what a perfect heart is, that maybe I should take a closer look at the life of David. And as I began to examine his life, I noticed something. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 15. I got a lot of scripture this morning. I'm trying to cover it as quickly as I can to make the point I need to make. Uh, 1 Kings 15 verse 5. Listen. Because David did that which was right did in the eyes of the Lord. Did that which was right. And we'll say he did that which was right. And turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. And we'll say he turned not aside from anything that God commanded. Save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, we believe that all scripture is divinely inspired of God. All scripture is God-breathed. And so we know that the writer of 1 Kings didn't just write this on a whim. He was not expressing his own opinion. He was God's secretary, if you please. He was pinning the words that the Spirit of God was speaking to his heart. Holy men of old wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Do you believe that? They wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is the one who said, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. David turned not aside from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, why is it that there is this one exception in David's life? Why did the writer point out the one thing that he said kept David from having done everything that God commanded. What was the situation here? Well, I don't like it when it's this quiet. What was it that caused him to say David did what was right? David turned not aside from anything except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now let me just remind you, that's not the only time David did something wrong. There were other situations where David did wrong. But the, but the inspired writer said, this is the only exception we're going to make note of. Look, I, I, don't, I don't really have time. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to save a little time here, but if you are taking notes, you can write down 1 Chronicles 13, verses 7 through 11. That, that passage 
talks about when David decided we need to get the ark of God and bring it back. We, we, need, we need to have it here in the heart of Israel. That's the symbol of God's presence and we need it back. And David had them put the ark on a new cart that was being pulled by the oxen. You remember that story? And, and when the oxen got to a certain location, they stumbled. And Yuza put forth his hand to steady the ark. And God smote Yuza dead. And First Chronicles 13.11 says David was displeased because the Lord made a breach. But David never forgot about getting that ark back. He said, we're going to just set it aside right here. We're going to put it in the house of Obed-Edom for a while. It's going to stay right here. But we got to get it back at some point. It belongs back here under this tent. This is where it needs to be, and we got to get it back. And so two chapters later in 1 Chronicles 15, the Bible says that David called for the priests and the Levites. And verse 12 says that he said to them, You are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves that you can bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place I've prepared for it. For because you did it not, this is verse 13, we're 1 Chronicles 15, 13. Verse 13, he said, For because you did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel and the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon as Moses commanded to the word of the Lord. So I, I'm just telling you, David, now I know, I know you was the man that was struck dead. But you hear me, David was the man responsible. David had decided he was going to carry that ark in a method and a manner that was not according to the scriptures. And then when David started looking and found in the scripture... That the Bible said there's a certain way this thing's got to be carried. Now remember, it's been gone from Israel during David's time here. It was taken while Saul was still king. So they haven't done anything with the ark. In fact, even before that, they hadn't moved the ark in years. So they weren't familiar with the process. David started doing some research. David started unrolling some scrolls. And David said, I see now the problem. God said, put the staves through the rings on the side. And put those staves on the shoulders of the priests. And let them carry the ark. And when they did it right, the ark came home. And the people rejoiced and danced and shouted. And God was pleased. 
And I'm telling you, David was wrong in doing that. Putting it on a cart. That was, David was wrong. And yet the writer of 1 Kings did not choose to mention that. David was also wrong later on as he sat as king over the United Kingdom. And David decided, I want to know the number of this people. In fact, the Bible says, you can research it, but the Bible says Satan stirred him up to do this. He was wrong in numbering the people. And, and because he did this, now let's just read 2 Samuel 24 verse 10. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have I've sinned, greatly sinned greatly in that I have done. That I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, so beseech take, away take away the iniquity, the iniquity of thy servant, servant, for I have done I've very foolishly. Done foolishly. So I, I'm t these are only two examples of things that David did wrong in his lifetime. But yet the writer of 1 Kings said, David did that which was right in the sight of God and he obeyed all of God's commandments except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. God didn't bring back up the mishandling of the ark. God did not recall to the pages of scripture the numbering of the people. But God did put in the exception of the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, I got to hurry because I think my foundation is going to be bigger than the building if I don't hurry and try to get to where we're going here this morning. Let's go back and look again at this verse in our text in Psalm 101 verse 2. I will behave myself, behave wisely, myself wisely in a perfect wisely. way. Yes. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? Yes. I will walk, I within, will my walk house within my house with a perfect heart. With a perfect heart. When I began looking at this word perfect in the original language, I found out that this word was actually translated differently in many other Old Testament verses. It was actually translated as integrity. I will walk within my house with a heart of integrity. Now stay with me here for a few moments. There is, in fact, in 1 Kings 9, a reference to David's heart that describes it this way. 1 Kings 9, we won't read all of this, just go to uh, verse 4, 1 Kings 9 and 4. That the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time. Now that should be, that's verse 2, I think. Go down to verse 4, if you would. If thou wilt walk before now, me. Now this is God talking to Solomon. And God says to Solomon, if you'll walk before me. As David, As thy father, David walked, your father walked in integrity of in heart. integrity of heart. 
and in uprightness yes to do according to all that i've commanded yes thee, and will keep my and statutes, keep my and, statutes my and judgments then i then will establish, establish the throne, the of, thy throne of your upon kingdom Israel forever, forever. Now, now, now listen let's I'm, I'm trying to save some time here but i'm telling you that the word integrity in verse four is the exact same hebrew word as psalm 101 verse 2 where david said i'm going to walk in my house with a perfect heart and God, when he's talking to Solomon, he said, Solomon, if you'll just walk before me with integrity of heart like David did, I'm going to bless you like I blessed David. Well, hallelujah. Amen. I'm, I'm feeling something here. I'm getting somewhere this morning. Amen. So what does it mean? What is God talking about when he talks about somebody having integrity of heart? Well, let's go a little deeper into the Old Testament. Let's go to Genesis chapter 20. And let's start reading with verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned to Gerar. Yes. And Abraham said unto Sarah his wife, She is my sister. Yes. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. All right, now, now, now look at this. Watch what happens here. But Abimelech God, the king of Gerar took Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now this doesn't just mean that he kidnapped her. He had every intention on making her one of his no doubt many wives. That was his plan. That was his intention. But something happened that night. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech but in a dream God by night. God came to Abimelech. And said to him. And he said to him. Behold, thou behold, art but a dead man. You are but a dead man. For the woman that thou hast taken, she is a man's she wife. She is a man's wife. But Abimelech but had, Abimelech not, come had not come near, near her. her. And he said, he said Lord, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Read. Say he not unto me, she is my sister. Didn't Abraham say she's my sister? And she even herself, she herself said, said, he is my he's brother. He's my brother. Now listen to what he says. In the integrity, In the integrity of my heart. of my heart. Innocency of my heart. innocency of my, of my hands have I done this. You understand Abimelech's prayer as he's talking to God. God said, I'm ready to slay you, Abimelech. And Abimelech said, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. I didn't know she was married. She told me she was this man's brother. And he said that she was his sister. I had no idea that I was about to sin. I'm telling you, I'm doing this in innocency. I had no uh, comprehension uh, that what I was doing, I didn't do it intentionally, God. This was not intentional. I thought I was doing right. And so God says, verse 6. God said unto him in a dream. He said unto him. Yea, I yes, know that thou I didst this in the integrity of thy heart. did it in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld That's thee from sinning against I me. I kept you from sinning against thee. Therefore suffered That's I thee why not to touch her. I didn't let you take her as your bride tonight. I stopped you tonight. You know why, Abimelech? Because I saw the integrity of your heart. I understood you weren't doing this to try to steal a man's wife. You thought she was single. You had no idea what was 
was going on here. This was an innocent mistake on your part. And God said, because of that integrity, I kept you from committing sin. But let's read what else he says. Let's read verse 7. Now, therefore, God restore says, now, the man therefore, his wife. Restore the man his wife. For he is he's a prophet. A prophet and he and he's going to pray for thee, you. And, thou and you're going to live. And if thou but if you restore her not, her not no, no, know thou that thou that shalt thou surely, surely die. die. Thou, thou all that thou that are I, I'm garnished. trying to show somebody this morning. I know this has taken me a long time to get down to this point, but I want to show somebody this morning that God looked at Abimelech and he said, I know that what you did, though it was wrong, you didn't know you were doing wrong. You thought you were doing right, so I spared you from crossing the line. I kept you from going too far, but I want you to know, now that you know, now that you've been made aware, you can't say you're innocent anymore. And if you take her now, God said, I'm going to kill you. And everybody associated with you. This is what it means to have integrity of heart. Hallelujah. It means, yes, Abimelech did wrong. But Abimelech didn't intentionally do wrong. Abimelech wasn't just trying to see how much he could get away with. Abimelech thought in his mind he was right. Are you with me? There was something in his, and he did once God said, this is another man's wife. He released her the next day. He gave her back to Abraham the next day. He said, I'm not crossing that line. God saw something in the heart of that man. Amen. You may be on the road to doing wrong, but God said, I'm going to spare you from destroying yourself and being destroyed because I see integrity in your heart. I see you've got a perfect heart in this matter. Now listen to me, saints. Amen. I'm telling you, I believe that this idea of having integrity in your heart, amen, it means that you're not intentionally trying to sin. You're not knowingly committing sin. Amen. You, you may be doing something wrong, but you'll wake up one day and realize, amen, this is not where I intended to be. This is not what I intended to do. This is not what I wanted to do. Hallelujah. And I believe that that definition explains to us why the writer of 1 Kings did not recall David's transgression of mishandling the ark. Because now David was wrong and judgment still fell. But God didn't recall it in the long run because David did it in integrity. He wanted the ark of God where it needed to be. He just went about it the wrong way. God didn't overlook him doing it wrong. You understand? But there was something in David's heart that he was not intentionally trying to displease God. 
The same could be said of him numbering the, the, the people of Israel. Uh, others had numbered Israel. And, and I believe that in David's mind, uh, he was convinced, uh, this is what I need to do. This is what needs to happen. We need to let our enemies know how strong we are. We need to reassure our nation of, of how big our army is and, and in the integrity of his heart uh, he set about numbering them now again God brought judgment uh, and many died because of what David did but when God wrote the short synopsis uh, of David's life uh, he didn't mention David numbering the people because David had done wrong but he did it in the integrity of his heart oh hallelujah Praise God. Hallelujah. But when it comes to the matter of Uriah the Hittite, that's a different story. That's a different story. Now, this is where, church, I want to be careful because I don't want you to misunderstand on either extreme of this spectrum. I don't want you to think that I'm saying that you can just do what's wrong and God will overlook it. I'm not saying you can live any way you want to and God will just close his eyes. All right? God didn't close his eyes. When Uzzah put his hand on the ark, God smote him. When David numbered the people, God sent a plague. But in the story of David's life, God did not bring those things to remembrance because David had done them in the integrity of his heart. Now there's the other extreme of this before I go any farther. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying by thinking that God didn't forgive David in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Because this is another thing that I truly, Brother Goff, I was concerned about as I prayed about this message and I studied and prepared for this message. I don't want anybody to walk away from here and think that I'm saying there are some sins that God's not going to forgive. There's only one sin God won't forgive and that's blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. It was not a matter that David could not be forgiven. I'm just telling you that the reason it was brought back up is because the Bible is 100 percent accurate it's 100 percent true and they could not say David did what was right all the days of his life without mentioning this one exception hallelujah David did find forgiveness and I'm going to tell you if there's any other lesson that I learned as I read through the, the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah I'm telling some of you ought to try it sometime. Just, just reading through all of, 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 of 1st and 2nd Kings. Or read 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Try reading all that in a matter of a few days and see how many times kings lived wicked, rotten, filthy lives. But when they turned to God in genuine repentance, a merciful God reached down and helped them and restored them. God even had mercy. On Ahab. You can read it. As wicked as Ahab was. God said there's some things I won't do while you're still alive. Because he cried out to God and asked for mercy. In the closing moments of his life. I'm telling you God's a merciful God. 
I'm not talking about you can't be forgiven. I'm just talking about the thing that I believe will make a difference in our walk with God is if we can make up our minds right now that God, I know I'm human. I know I'm going to falter. I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going to wake up one day laying flat on my face. But I want to promise you this, God. It's not going to be because I just made up my mind to go do something that I knew was wrong. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, you can't say David did it in integrity. David knew full well what he was doing. Let me show you something here. 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. Listen to this. And David sent and inquired, inquired after the woman. Yeah, now this is, you know, David is up on the rooftop. While other kings are out to battle, David's walking around in the cool of the, of the day and he looks over and sees Bathsheba bathing. And the Bible says that he sent and inquired after the woman. And said, is not this One said, Bathsheba? Is this not Bathsheba? The daughter of Eliam? The daughter of Eliam? The wife, the wife, the of, wife Uriah, the Hittite. of Uriah the Hittite. Look, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to get too sidetracked in all this, but I, it's obvious David had more than one wife. David did take other women as wives, and, and the Old Testament system really didn't deal with that much. It just didn't. It's just a fact. All right? It's just a fact. They could have more than one wife, and, and, and they did. And, and, uh, uh, but in this case, David knew. She was already somebody else's wife. He knew she was married when he took her. In fact, he not only knew she was married, but when they came and said, it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, David knew Uriah. And he knew him well. Let me show you something. First Chronicles 11 verse 10. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had. Who strengthened themselves right, with him. Right. I, I'm, I'm trying to hurry through all of this, but I want you to notice these are the chief of the mighty men. So here in First Chronicles 11, they're listing the mighty men of David. These are David's top warriors. And as he starts reading off this list, notice what verse 41 says. Uriah the Uriah Hittite. The Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. Amen. I'm telling you, Uriah wasn't just a, a foot soldier in the army. David knew him full well. David had promoted him. David had put him, amen, at the top, amen, of his list of mighty men. David knew Uriah. Uriah was his loyal and faithful servant. We see that when David called him home, told him to go home. Uriah refused. He said, I can't do that while my brothers are out fighting. David tried to get him drunk and it still didn't work. The loyalty in the heart of Uriah is so strong. I'm telling you that when David did what he did with Bathsheba, there was no innocence. David knew full well that he was doing wrong. 
And so when God described the life of David, there was only one sin that was brought back up. And that was the one sin that David did not commit in the integrity of his heart. David understood how important it was to have a perfect heart, to walk in integrity of heart. Amen. David uh, even instructed Solomon before he made him king. First Chronicles 28 verse 9. Listen. And thou, Solomon, thou my, Solomon son, my son, know thou know the thou God, the of, thy God father, of thy father and serve and him, serve with, him with a perfect heart. And, a willing and with mind. a willing mind. For the Lord searches because the Lord hearts searches the hearts. He understands the imaginations of the thoughts. If, if you'll him, seek him, he will be he'll be found of you. But if you forsake him, him he will cast he'll cast you off forever. forever. Amen. David stressed to Solomon, if you want to be blessed by God, I want to tell you how to do it. If you want to see the favor of God on you the way I've seen it in my life, let me tell you what you need, Solomon. You need a perfect heart you need to learn to walk before God in the matter amen in in everything in in a manner of a perfect heart And, and Solomon must have made note of that because in the very next chapter or, or let, me, let me back up. David now, David says this in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, and then David is praying a prayer. Let me, let me rephrase what I said. Uh, Solomon did ask for it later, but 1 Chronicles 29, 19, read. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart yeah. to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build the palace for the which have I made provision. So David instructed Solomon, you need a perfect heart, son. David prayed for Solomon. Oh, God, please give my son a perfect heart. There's one thing Solomon needs. There's one thing that Solomon has got to have. We want the blessing of God to remain upon Israel. We want the favor of God to remain upon Israel. But it's not going to stay unless we've got a perfect perfect heart but I'm going to tell you the instruction of his father and the prayer of his father was not enough to make Solomon do what was right first Kings 11 and 4 says this for it came to pass it when came Solomon to pass was old when Solomon was old his wives his wives turned, turned away his heart, his heart after, other, after gods. other gods and his heart was not perfect as with the heart of David his father let me just tell you something I want to say this today. Young people, listen to me. Amen. You can't ride your mama and daddy's coattails when it comes to having a perfect heart. This is something you got to determine in your own life. This is something you got to make up in your own mind. Mama and daddy can't give you a perfect heart. They can teach you. They can train you. They can do all kinds of things to help you. But when it comes to having a perfect heart, You're going to have to make a decision. This is the way I'm going to live. When I get on my phone, I'm not going to ungodly sites. When my friends are playing games about murdering people and blowing people's heads off, I'm not getting involved in that. When they're listening to ungodly music, I'm going to stop up my ears. I'm going to make up my mind. I live for God with a perfect heart. 
everybody to hear me. I can't pray a perfect heart into you. We have no doubt that God heard David's prayers. David prayed specifically for God to give his son a perfect heart. Yet he didn't have one. Because that's not something that God just gives us. We've got to make up our minds. We've got to make some determination. Hello? We've got to settle in our hearts. When it's prayer time, I'm going to be there praying. When it's church time, I'm going to be there worshiping. When I get around those that don't know God, I'm going to be reaching out for the lost. I'm just going to make up my mind. I'm going to walk before God with a perfect heart. That doesn't mean I'll never make a mistake. It doesn't mean I'll never mess up. It doesn't mean I'll never fall flat on my face. It just means I've made up my mind. If I know it's wrong, I refuse to do it. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm trying to bring this thing to a close. It ought to be the driving force in our lives uh, that we want to have uh, a perfect heart. Uh, amen. Again, it doesn't mean that we're flawless. It only means we're going to live in integrity. We're going to falter. We're going to fall. But when we do, it should not be intentional. We got to determine that we're going to live in integrity and never give in to those things that we know are wrong. Oh, I've still got a bunch of scripture to go here. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Amen. First Timothy chapter one, verse five. Read. Now the end of the commandment. The end of the commandment is charity, is charity out, of out of a pure heart. And, and of a good of a conscience. Good conscience. And, of faith, and of faith that is not put on. That's what unfeigned means. It's not fake. I'm not faking my relationship with God. I've got a pure heart. Now I want you to notice it doesn't say a perfect heart here in the New Testament, but it's the same idea. It's the same concept. And Paul said to Timothy, here's the end of the commandment. Or in other words, this is the end of the matter. This is the summation of everything I'm trying to instill in you, Timothy. You need to have charity out of a pure heart if you've got a pure heart you'll have a good conscience if you have a pure heart you'll have unfeigned faith listen to what he said in Ephesians 6 and 6 not with eye service as men pleasers but as the servants of Christ doing yes. the will of God from the heart doing the will of God from the heart Oh, yeah. I think this is how we can go back and pick up with Amaziah. I think this explains to me why the scripture would say he did what was right, but not with a perfect heart. It's one thing to do it because your head says you got to. It's one thing to do it because you know you'll get in trouble if you don't. But I'm telling you, there is a different dimension of relationship with God when you're doing the will of God from your heart. This is what my heart wants. This is what my heart desires. It's not because somebody is 
going to reprimand me. It's not because somebody is always looking over my shoulder, but my heart says, I want to please God. I want God to smile on me. I want God to be happy with me. I want to do this from my heart. Oh, I feel this this morning. Hallelujah. I spent some weeks teaching on the podcast about the fruit of the Spirit. You want to know how to really produce good fruit? Listen to this, Luke 8, verse 15. And that, but that on the good ground are they yeah. which in an honest, which in an and, honest good heart. and good heart. Having heard Having the word, heard the keep word, it and they bring keep it forth it, fruit. And they bring pain. forth fruit with patience. They've got an honest and a good heart. They got a perfect heart. They got a heart of integrity. They hear it preached and it becomes more than just another sermon that's going to go on the website that I might go back and listen to one day, but I'm going to hide it in my heart that I might not sin against God. I'm going to receive with meekness that engrafted word that's able to save my soul. I'm going to do it with an honest and a good heart. When Jesus told us how we ought to love God, Matthew 22 and 37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt shalt love love the Lord Lord thy God God with all thine heart. Wait wait a minute. What's first on the list? What's first on the list? Heart. What's first on the list? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy soul. And with all thy mind. And Mark adds, with all thy strength. I'm going to tell you, it's going to begin, amen, in the heart. You want to love God with your soul? You want to love God with your mind? You want to love God with your strength? Let it start in the heart. Fall in love with him again. Fall in love. Oh, I feel like I'm preaching to somebody. In fact, I know I'm preaching to the whole church this morning. We got to get this down in our heart. Hallelujah. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to hurry. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles 15, 17. I want to just clean up a few things here. Second Chronicles 15, 17 talks about Asa. Read. But the high places high were not, places taken, away out of not Israel. taken away out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart, the heart of, Asa of Asa was perfect all his days. I believe the answer as to how Asa was considered to have a perfect heart, even though the high places were not taken away, is because he himself did what he knew to be right. Those around him and those in his kingdom may not have been doing right. But I can promise you this. I don't believe Asa ever set foot in any of those high places. I don't think Asa ever knelt at any of those altars. I don't think Asa ever offered a sacrifice to any of those false gods. There may have been others in the land. And yes, he should have dealt with them. But I'm here to tell you, God looked at Asa's heart. And there was something in his heart that he said, God... I want to please you. I want to please you. I want you to smile upon me. I want you to see me as a good and a faithful servant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
I know what it is as a leader to preach things and yet have folks sitting on the pew to continue to do what you've preached against. I believe that's kind of the way Asa was. And my, my desire, my desire this morning before God, God, I'm going to keep preaching against the high places. I'm going to keep preaching against sin. I'm going to keep preaching against worldliness. But most of all, God, more important than anything else, I want my heart to be perfect before you. I want my heart to be perfect before you. I want you to smile on me. I want you to be pleased with me. Hallelujah. 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 Amaziah. Amaziah did what was right, but not with a perfect heart. In other words, Amaziah knew the rules. And he obeyed the rules. Brother Mays, you know what that's like. You've spent years as a pastor. You know what it is. There are some folks you can't put a finger on their outward appearance. You can't put a finger on, on the things that you see. I heard... Brother Larry Booker talk about a woman he was pastoring many, many years ago. He said she walked in. They, back then they had Sunday school. They would come in and then have a morning worship. And he said they were coming in from Sunday school. And he looked up and just happened to notice this one sister in the church. as She was leading kids in. And he said God spoke to him and said, let me tell you about her. She loves you as her pastor and she loves this place as her church and she loves these children and she loves doing this work but she doesn't love me saints of God I'm telling you it's possible to dot every I and cross every T And not have a perfect heart. I'm telling you, we can live every standard, we can obey every message, and not have a perfect heart. Amaziah did, he did what was right but he didn't do it with a perfect heart. I came today, as the musicians come, I came today. I, I really, I want to help somebody. I'm not preaching a message of condemnation. I'm not preaching a message of judgment today. I want to help somebody. I want you to understand something this morning. I want you to know we get so hung up, especially as conservative, apostolic, one God people, we get so hung up on the external sometimes that we fail to realize the necessity of having a perfect heart. It doesn't mean we can neglect the other. Don't, don't put words in my mouth.
I'm just telling you, you can be like Amaziah and do what is right. And God still give the testimony. They did what was right. But not with a perfect heart. I want a perfect heart. Brother Hilton, I want a perfect heart. That doesn't mean flawless. It just means I'm going to walk in integrity. I want to tell you, it's not too late for you to develop a perfect heart. You may have things, you may have done things yesterday. You may have done something this morning you shouldn't have done and you knew you were wrong when you did it. But I'm telling you, this morning at an old-fashioned altar, you can find a place where he'll cleanse all of that and, 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 and he'll help you if you really want a perfect heart. If you'll make up your mind, when I get up from this altar today, I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to live differently. It's not just about obedience it's not about checking off the boxes yeah I did this yeah I did this but there's something in my heart I want to please him I want a perfect heart For you see here's what Jesus said and I close with this as we stand this morning Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure blessed in heart. are the pure in heart. Or we could say it this way. Blessed are those who have a perfect heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they for shall they see God. shall see God. He's looking for somebody to whom he can show himself strong. He's looking for somebody he can reveal his wonders to. I'm telling you, if God would reach down for Hezekiah and put the entire universe in reverse, what will he do for you? If he could just see a perfect heart. A perfect heart. I, I don't want to drag this out. But I'm going to tell you, I've learned through the years, there's two kinds of backsliders. There's two kinds of backsliders. I remember years ago in Houston, Texas, going to a barber shop started talking to the man that was cutting my hair. He found out I was attending Elder Wayne McLean's church, and he said, you know, he's my cousin. I said, really? And he explained the relationship. They were first cousins. He said, I was raised apostolic. He said, I'm not living it now, but he said, I'm going to tell you this. I'll never go anywhere else because I know that's real, and I know that's right. I may not be living it today, but I know where to go when I want to get right with God. And then there are those backsliders that walk away, run the church down, throw all the garbage they can at everybody they can. 
talk about it's nothing but hypocrites. I'm going to tell you that's two different categories of people there. And I'm not saying that the first one's going to be saved. But I'm going to tell you this, I've got a lot more hope for him. Oh, saints of God, I wonder if there's anybody today that wants a perfect heart. These altars are open if you want to come or if you want to kneel where you are. Again, we ask, put your mask on if you're going to leave your pew. But Hallelujah. Let's find a place to pray somewhere, either in your pew or at the altar. But we want to reach out. I want somebody. I pray that I've helped somebody. I pray I've spoken to somebody today. I want a perfect heart. I want a perfect heart. I want a perfect heart. Doesn't mean I'm a perfect individual. It just means I'm going to walk in integrity before God. I'm just not going to do things that I know are wrong. I'll make mistakes. I'll fall. I'll stumble. But when I do, I want it to be in the integrity of my heart. I want God to see something in me. It says, I'm not going to let you go too far. I'm not going to let you cross certain lines. Oh, let's, let's reach out to God right now. Let's lift our voices. Come on, we ought to cry out to God right now. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Help me today, God. Cleanse me. Purge me. Wash me. Let me begin this day brand new. Let me begin this day on my journey to have a perfect heart. Oh God. Oh God. I want a perfect heart. I want a perfect heart. 